My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back to Transmissions. Today, I am joined on the show by Jeff Cloud of Velvet Blue Music. You might also know him from his work in Joy Electric and Pony Express. And for many years, he was uh, the bassist of the California dream pop band Starflyer 59. Everyone has that band, uh, the one that opens their head and points them in new directions. And for me, Starflyer 59 was that band. Uh, They kind of drew a line that connected the college rock of uh, the Pixies to Dwayne Eddy and the Ventures and drew a line from New Order to the Beach Boys to My Bloody Valentine to David Lynch. For me, it was a perfect encapsulation of everything I liked in music wrapped up in feedback and reverb and uh, Christian faith. Cloud founded Velvet Blue in 1996, and the label has been home to pivotal releases by people like Richard Swift, who got his start there. Uh, Cloud played with Swift in Starflyer 59 and Pony Express. Uh, Groups like the Broadway Hush, which was an early project headed by Michael Now and Whitney McGraw of Cotton Jones. Groups like Fine China and many more. Totally blue collar in spirit and independent, the label continues to release new music from groups like the synth-pop outfit Golf Slang, as well as Ronnie Martin of Joy Electric and Starflyer 59's most recent gem, Vanity, which I lauded in my review for Aquarium Drunkard last year. These conversations on transmissions are often very personal for me. They can't help but work that way. Uh, But uh, this one was especially so. It was the first time that Cloud and I had ever actually spoken person to person, but his responsiveness to my emails and questions go back uh, decades. His accessibility and utter lack of pretension has always made me feel like art was something regular people could do, uh, even lacking a big label, corporate structure type thing. His DIY ethic remains an inspiration, and I was very happy to have him on this episode of Transmissions to discuss it all, uh, meeting the Martin Brothers, Velvet Blue Music, David Lynch, and much more. Before we head into the talk, I want to take a moment to encourage you to check out Aquarium Drunkard's Patreon page if you dig the show. It's the best way you can help us to keep doing it. You can find show notes and more at Aquarium Drunkard, as well as my contact info there. I love hearing from listeners, and I'd be delighted to hear your thoughts on the show, your suggestions, and whatever else you might want to share. The channel is open. If you like transmissions, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen, so you never miss one of our weekly episodes.
Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Jeff Cloud, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. It's a real honor to have you here. Yep, thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it. You've been such a big part of my musical life. Uh, going back now 20-so years, um, I think that when I look back on how I became not just somebody who liked music, but somebody who was, for better or worse, obsessed with music and mm -hmm. focused almost exclusively on it, um, I think that it probably was, if I had to pinpoint a moment, uh, going up to the clerk at a record store with a Starflyer CD in my hands and getting like the knowing nod of approval, you know, uh, from okay. <laughs> from that guy uh, behind the behind the counter. Who this is obviously we're starting off on a tangent. That's the way we do it sometimes on transmissions. Great. But I I, I I later ended up like interacting with that same clerk uh, a bunch. Uh, we became okay. friends, but it was years later. But anyway. So between Velvet Blue music and your work in Joy Electric and Starflyer, yeah, you've just been <clears> such a such a huge part of of me getting into to stuff, music that's slightly off the off the radar a little bit, and uh, and yeah, yeah. So thank so thank you thank you for that. Sure, I, I mean it's it's always been sort of a boot like a boutique, you know what I mean? It's it's never been like mute or anything enormous like that. It's always been small, but I feel like the fans of the stuff that I've been involved with were like really dedicated and they sound mostly kind of like you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Which is basically just exactly the same way I am. And I think just my passion and love for music kind of projected out in the way that I did stuff. I, I basically just made stuff that I wanted to buy from someone else, you know what I mean? Right, right. So Velvet Blue Music celebrated last year its its twenty fifth anniversary. We're now in the twenty twenty sixth year. I know it's crazy. That's yeah. got That's that's got to be wild. I, so I, what I what I want to start it off by asking you was, when you look back, you know, twenty six <clears> years <throat> ago to when you when you founded uh, VBM, did mm -hmm. you what what were some of the labels uh, that you that you were inspired by or that you wanted to emulate? What were the labels that were important for you in that regard? Um, uh, well, you know, basically just like you, I spent a pretty enormous amount of my time in record stores, thumbing through releases, looking through things. You know, this is really pre-internet. So like fanzines and magazines and things like that were also really important at the time, as well as obviously live music was. So yeah. for me, um, when I did the label, I was definitely really influenced by stuff like 4AD. So for me, if 
if it was on 4AD, pretty much I was going to purchase it because I had a general trust and like of the whole label. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, it was like 4AD creation, of course. And then for US stuff, um, independent project records was like, if I walked into a record store, you know, the artwork that they produced was pretty much, um, if you see it, you pretty much know it's like an IPR release. So it doesn't right. matter what it was. If it was there, I was going to buy it. And I just, I just trusted those labels. Like I, I, you know, obviously there's hits and misses from every label. And, but for the most part, I thought they were really consistent and I really liked the aesthetic and everything they were doing. So, so definitely those three labels were probably the highest on the list of labels that, that I was trying to emulate. Yeah. And to have independent projects, uh, do the art for for the most recent Starflyer album must yeah. have been a nice full circle thing. It was so cool, so weird, so full circle. Um, I mean that that is a truly strange thing that occurred in my life. I mean, th- when I was like you know seventeen, eighteen. Th- I mean that I would never have thought that one day like I would be talking with that guy about some design he was going to do for me. So it yeah. was just weird. I, I've kind of and in very light touch with him over the years and occasionally he'll send me things and occasionally things i'm proud of i'll send to him and obviously when he sends me his stuff it's like you know the packaging is all beautiful and ridiculous so one day i know yeah one day i'd just gone over to jason's just to show him the new stuff i'm like dude you want you've got to see the new stuff that bruce sent me like looks amazing so we were both looking at it and then we were both being nostalgic saying do you remember like how weird it was when we would like go to the mad platter record store in Riverside and we would see one of these things. And Jason was like, it's just, it's so cool that when you see one of his things, you know, it's his. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, I totally agree. And then it was almost like simultaneous. We we were both like, wow, what if he would do, because we were in the middle of getting the new Starflyer thing rolling. And we were like, what if he would do the artwork for the new Starflyer thing? And I said, I I said, I don't know, man. I I don't really know the guy, but I like have correspondence. So like a half hour later, I went home, emailed him, and then probably like, I don't know, a couple hours after that, he said, yeah, let's do it. And then the whole thing just started. So it was like really, really cool. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I mean, Vanity, the most recent Starflyer record, um, having been such a longtime fan, I've followed, mm-hmm. I've followed along, you know, and I've kept up with, with each record, you know, mm-hmm. Um and that one, yeah, they've I've I've had my favorites among the bunch, you know. And, yeah. But something something about Vanity where it was just like the full circleness of it really felt palpable. I could I could feel this like this this feeling of like both the intense nostalgia and the mm-hmm. intense sort of like because that's the thing, right? Like I I find myself thinking a lot about nostalgia in music lately, and um, and I think that like. Some of my heroes are people like, um, you know, like I, I I think a lot about. Um, oh my god, dude, my brain just went completely. Oh, John <laughs> Peel. <laughs> my mm-hmm. sometimes my brain just like shorts out at this point. But um, I think about John Peel, and and I think like I, I'm I'm always so inspired by people who don't ever get too in a rut about like this is the kind of music I like, and and I don't, yeah. uh, you know, like. I, it was better when I was a teenager, you know, like I don't, I don't want to fall into that trap. And yet at the same time, nostalgia is such a powerful emotion and it's such an evocative emotion. And so mm-hmm. 
it it has a role in music it has a role in art you know that i think should be uh i think it's i think it's worth thinking nostalgically or allowing nostalgia to be a part of the calculation of things um and so vanity for me it felt like that it felt like uh like a look back on a life lived and martin jason martin uh, of starflyer 59 who you've worked with now for i mean even longer than 25 years um he i feel like he's been singing about being too old since like the beginning <laughs> basically yeah yeah uh but on vanity you can really hear it and really feel it you know so like having that beautiful art having it be on velvet blue it really did mm -hmm. feel like it was like a special moment did it feel that way for you too yeah absolutely i mean i, I mean i think you're 100 percent right by you know legacy bands or for lack of a better term or whatever you want to call them I feel like it's so rare when that when a new record comes out and you're like, oh my gosh, this is great, you know, instead of you appreciate it for what they did in the past and you're still hanging on with them and they're still moving forward. It's not all that often when one of these bands that's been around for like decades puts out a new record and you find that new record to be like incredible. Yeah. And so even that's though right. I'm so close to to Jason, you know, on a personal level, like the music of vanity it's like i don't know it, it's it's a really really great record and you're totally right there's a there's this really weird feeling of definitely going full circle on everything and then you know people always use the term like oh he you know he wears his heart on his sleeve like you'll know and i just think with vanity it's like it's so extreme it's it's almost like the guy's just talking to you you know what i mean yeah. there's a real weird level of there's like nothing pretend, you know what I mean? Or, or it's not even, it's not even like fictional. It's just, it's like, it's, it's like the guy's talking to you. So in that respect, I think it's really weird. And I think people just appreciate like the, just the, the pure bluntness of, of the thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when I think back on, um, you know, Starflyer records throughout the years, mm -hmm. especially the early stuff, you know, which I love, I love the sort mm -hmm. of shoegaze, the shoegazy element. And yeah. I love, I love all that stuff deeply. Lyrically, you know, sometimes the lyrics were, had that like kind of like cryptic quality where you weren't exactly sure yeah. what anything meant or, or there was a lot of space for you as a listener to bring your own meaning or interpretation to it. Right. I appreciate that. Yeah. With a record like Vanity though, like you said, there's a directness that's just very, very surprising. Not to mention the mm -hmm. fact that Jason Martin's voice has changed and grown and aged in ways to where it's like when you listen in when you're listening to like older records you know and mm -hmm. he's singing about being 17 you're like mm -hmm. i mean you don't what you what you're like 25 now you know what I mean? like, <laughs> yeah but on vanity you just hear that you hear the age that he brings to it and it's and i thought it was such a such a great record and and and, it, and i also loved that after you know a long time on on tooth and nail uh a label that isn't also important to me you know in terms of my mm -hmm. musical growth and all that but but one where it's like i'll be real honest not listening to a lot of stuff that's on tooth and nail these days you know um sure so to have it be have have a starfire release on on velvet blue with you who for listeners who might not know you played in starfire and joy electric for a long time and we're yeah. a big part of that and then since de departing have continued to work with both of the Martins. So maybe it would be fun to go back and how did you first meet the Martin brothers? 
Uh, I, I went to private school, um, private high school, and Jason ended up going to the same school that I went to. He's a year or two older than me, but somehow we ended up in a few of the same classes. So I, re I really did not know him, but he came to our school and he didn't really know anyone. Um, it was a small high school and he, he did definitely like did not know people. So I don't know. I, he, he always claims that I was poking fun at him by trying to have him like come <laughs> eat lunch with me, but I really wasn't, I was being totally sincere. <laughs> so I just befriended him and, um, I don't know. And we just hung out at school and then we just kind of shared similar interests and stuff. And, um, I, that's just how it happened. He was doing dance house children at the time so for me being some kid in like ninth or tenth grade and then like I, you know to me it was like wait wait what you are like in this band and you like play shows and stuff so yeah I, to me that was crazy right and then i got to see he, he they had they were it was right really at the tail end of them doing morella's forest and then morphing into this weird electronic thing called dance house children so I had been to like a few Morella's Forest shows um, with them, you know, and that was like just whatever to a kid who's like 16. And like we would go to LA and we would be on the Sunset Strip and it would be some 21 and over thing. But I would get to go in because I was like, you know, quote unquote with the band. Right. To me, that was like just totally mind blowing, you know, like I can't believe like my buddy is like up on stage and people are like here to see him. And they're like in this rock band. And I just like, it was really like at the time, like really like special and weird. And I thought it was, you know, much, much, much larger than it really was. But at the time you, you are just like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. I mean, at the time, yeah, like you said, just that somebody's in a band is like yeah. mind blowing. It's like such oh, a, yeah. Yeah. and it feels that that's great. So that was there. What was that in Riverside where you guys yeah. were in school? Yeah, we went to school in Riverside, and I lived in a, t a city pretty near Riverside, and Jason actually lived in Riverside. Yeah. So, so how did you get like kind of like looped in to to playing to playing? Were, was it did you start playing with Joy Electric, uh, Ronnie's band first, and then in Starflyer? How did how did it work? Um, we would Jason had uh, at their house. They had this basically like kind of this little room that was in addition to the garage. It was basically like a studio more or less for rehearsal and stuff. So we just became friends. I met Ronnie obviously through hanging out with Jason and being at the house or whatever. And this is prior. I mean, there was no star flyer at this time, you know? So we That's would right. just go in that little room. I didn't really play an instrument or anything, but we would go in that room and we'd goof around and jam and have fun. Jason would show me like, like this is a G chord or whatever. And then he would like give me a little nod, like, okay, you play this right here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we would just goof around and do stuff. And I think, I think I actually played a couple shows like as dance house children, but I can't remember, but that was, that was right when Morella's forest had kind of fallen apart and they had done this dance house children stuff, but I don't think Jason was really, um, I don't think he loved doing it. I, I don't think he like loved the music and I don't think he loved playing live shows, which, you know, I guess it's just like today. And oh, somehow yeah. <laughs> I just ended up playing with, I ended up playing with Ronnie first, definitely in dance house children stuff. Um, and then that just kind of morphed into time over 
I ended up, I actually ended up playing in Starflyer just out of pure necessity. We were going on tour and I was basically like selling merch and doing tour management, like, you know, like taking care of the the bookkeeping and contacting the promoters, just that kind of stuff. Right. And at a certain point, right after Americana, Eric Campizano had left the band. So there was no bass player. So basically out of need and function, we just said, Hey, you know what? It would be weird. Like if, if, you know, Jason just said, cloud, if you could just learn how to play bass, you just be the bass player. And then we don't, there's, we don't have to pay an extra person, you know, and we can right. still accomplish all this stuff. And I was like, well, okay. Like, you know, I guess. And so that's kind of how it started. So when you got on the base, did you have bass players who you were thinking like, okay, so I feel like I this is like who I kind of want to model my my playing after, or was it more or less sort of like you were just sort of taking cues from what? Because it's not any big secret, obviously, that Starflyer Fifty Nine is Jason Martin, you know, right. and it's yeah. Jason's got the got the vision and has the idea most likely in his head. I mean, what was that? <laughs> what was that process sort of like? <laughs> I mean, I, I played guitar at the time, you know, kind of badly. Um, again, there's just so much stuff in our lives that really haven't changed from then to now, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I so love that. I, I, it's not like I just didn't play anything at all, but, but I would like to say I didn't play anything well, you know? So learning bass, no, I wasn't trying to emulate anything. I was just trying to play the right notes and not mess right. up, you know what I mean? I, now I'd never, I never even touched a bass guitar in my life, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So no, but, I, I really wasn't emulating anything. I was just trying to like play the root note of everything and not mess up. Which is sort of the 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 way it works, right? For those records, you are really like the chord progression is very often the bass yeah. is anch- anchoring that, and for sure, yeah. So so was the first Starflyer re- the first Starflyer record you played on was the Fashion Focus. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. chorus that corresponds with a shift, right? I mean, when you look back at the early Starfire stuff, um, silver and gold are are very much in the shoegaze sort of pocket. Um, mm-hmm. Although, just like a lot of a lot of bands, you hear other influences almost right away. You know, sort of the surfier side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear. Uh, sort of a, a Sabbathy influence for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like it's it's just you guys just trying to. It's not like it was just pure pure shoegaze stuff. But at the same time, when the fashion focus drops, there's like this huge shift, and all of a sudden there's um, a lot more happening in terms of this sort of classic pop feel and uh the synthier side of things so i wonder if as somebody who knew those guys you know um did you you know did it feel to you like there was a, a um an openness as far as to where starflyer could potentially go when you actually start playing the bass with with the group yeah i mean again you're you're pretty spot on i mean the, the first two records are you know are really they're they're noisy but they're like it was just a conglomeration basically of the bands we listened to it's a lot of pale saints a lot of jesus and mary chain a lot of boo radley's that's yeah. all morphed in there and then the surf element obviously is, is sort of kind of pixies related you know yeah for sure so those two records happen and then you have americana which is more of this kind of 
it's almost tongue in cheek. You know, it was kind of like what the band was already doing, but Hey, let's, let's add this element of black Sabbath and let's have a bunch of guitar wanking like dinosaur junior, <laughs> you know, like a band that we love, you know, and we love dinosaur junior. So that's what happened. And then I think after that, it just kind of became, you know, what, what are we going to do next? You know what I mean? And right. Cause, Cause everyone makes mistakes is after that. Right. Yeah, which was the first Starfire record that I got, actually. That was sorry, the first that's, one that's I bought. The, okay, sorry. That's the first record I played on. So that, okay, record, okay. that record kind of bridges the gap a little bit between this tongue-in-cheek rock and roll riff thing over to Leave Here a Stranger. Right. And, and then Leave Here a Stranger, clearly Jason wanted to just try to step away and do something a little different, you know? And having yeah. t- and having Terry Taylor be involved in that brought a, a you know he has this classic pop surfy he he brought he had all these kind of similar ideas you know yeah I mean so so to me that is a, again such an important album right it's such a pivotal album Leave Here a Stranger yeah. I think that's my favorite Starflyer record ultimately um, it's close and- for me it's close for me I, I mean I, I really do like that record yeah. Well, which one is your favorite? Um, I, I, I mean, it's hard for me because I've been so close to all of them. I mean, right That's now right. It, it's vanity just because it's like I've been <laughs> so wrapped up in it and so involved in it. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. Uh, while it's relatively new to everyone else, you have to keep in mind that it was like months and months and months and months and months before that I was listening to those songs. Right. So I just kind of recently listened to it again, like about two weeks ago. And it struck me the same way. Like, wow, this is a really great record, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that record, for me, um, I, I love the old record. Um, just just for the camaraderie we had, the, the just the time in life that that was, you know? And then, I, and then probably Leave Here a Stranger for me. Because I, I, I really do think that Leave Here a Stranger to me is like, I, I think is, is really well written. It's oddly recorded. And I think it's, I think it's kind of unique as a as a piece in the catalog. So that's that's the so f- for listeners who maybe you know I'm sure that there will be some listeners who actually are new to to Starflyer and sure. to this whole world. But that's that's a record that you guys did in mono, um, which yeah. was a de- de- definitely an unusual choice for the time. But also really does have a lot to do with the. The absolutely unique quality of of that record which is just it's really evocative and there are some moments that are really like beautifully creepy sounding on it and mm-hmm. there are some sort of sound collage elements and mm-hmm. it's this weird thing of like there's a psychedelia element there's uh an am pop element there's a beach boys element it, it really did i mean I think that record pointed the way for me in a pretty major way, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, not, not to, I guess not to minimize my role in it, but I mean, obviously I was there the whole time, but I didn't really have a lot of creative input into what was happening. I, I, you know, at the time I like the same thing. I just wanted to play the part and not mess up. And we would, <laughs> we would bounce ideas around, but for the most part, Jason usually almost has the whole complete song when he brings it to the table. So right. he he basically had those songs, and then Terry Taylor really did have a lot to do with some of the stranger things and some of the sounds. And I think my input would have been greater um, 
just in the amount of ideas as opposed to like actually like, hey, I have this cool part I'm going to play because I didn't really do that. But sure. I would say like, oh, you know, it'd be cool if we like super muted this or made this louder than it should be. Or I, I was always verging to make stuff a little more bizarre. And Jason yeah. is always verging to keep it kind of more contained. But you can kind of hear, right, like with your group Pony Express, which at times uh, was basically Starflyer reconfigured, you know, at least, yeah. at least yeah. personnel, personnel wise. Yeah, you can hear some of those. Uh, you, you can hear your tendency to, to, to whack it out a little bit, to have it be a little <laughs> a little odd. Sure, because in the real world, I mean, if you were, you know, playing at some magnificent level, that would be beautiful on its own. But if you right. don't play very well, you can mix it up with some other junk and come out with something still sounding kind of fun, you know? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, I'm glad you brought old up, though, as well, because that to me is, you know, so by the time old comes out, I'm so fully in the pocket with Starflyer that I remember reading the notes that you guys would put up on the Starflyer site, like the recording sessions. Mm -hmm. You were you were like you guys were were talking about what you were doing that day in the studio and how things were going and posting photos of like, yeah, here's some Les Pauls or whatever. And and Aquarium Drunkard listeners and fans are absolutely familiar with Richard Swift, of course, who at this point in the Starflyer story has joined the group. And it's 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 you, Jason Swift and Frank Lenz. Uh, that's the that's the old combo, right? Right. Yeah. Which yep. is. Starflyer, again, being a band that is predominantly Jason Martin's project and is a predominantly a Jason Martin vehicle. You correct me if I'm wrong, but it really does feel like the old group was the closest Starflyer came to just being a like a full on rock and roll band with like really distinct, you know, each each person on that group in that group rather is bringing a pretty significant element, you know, to the table. Yeah. Is is that is that a fair way to put it? De definitely. Yeah, that is the, that is the most band like that it's ever been. And that was yeah. definitely the most collaborative thing um and to and to you know as a testament to jason he, it's not like he's this ruling guy he's totally open to anyone's idea or he, he's he's pretty easy to work with i mean he is really open to anyone saying i think this could happen or this could happen in the end he's gonna say i don't like that change or i don't like doing this or i don't want it to end that way it, it's always his call but he's pretty open to ideas and we did do same thing the old record does have quite a bit of pretty weird elements to it so um that that one was like so you know i i feel like there's a i remember another real pivotal thing to me was of course band doppler magazine which was this publication and i remember the story that came out around the time of old i don't know if it was a cover story i don't think it was i think the blood brothers were on the cover of that that issue but okay a big a big piece about old you know and i remember stuff like Pink Floyd being cited, the sort of symphonic uh, album-oriented rock element, which, mm -hmm. uh, you know, was that you guys sort of being nostalgic for stuff you might have heard on the radio as pretty young kids? Is that a fair way to put it? Um, yeah, I, I, I think we were... I think we were just kind of trying to depart from the soup of the day kind of i think we were trying to yeah. kind of just do something that everyone else wasn't doing right then you know well you you guys definitely succeeded i mean those 
the drums on that record remain mind blowing to me. Frank Lenz, uh, a really incredible drummer and a really yeah. uh, a really interesting musician. And of course, Richard Swift, who I've already alluded to a little bit. How, how did you yeah. do you remember? How, do you remember how you first <laughs> met uh, Swift? Um, he was. Gosh. I, I think I met him purely from him being friends with Frank Lenz and Eli Thompson. And so right. I think I probably just met him over at Lenz's house one day or something. You know, I don't, I don't remember actual, our actual first meeting. I don't really remember that, but yeah. Um, I mean, he was just kind of hanging around, you know what I mean? He, he was, he, he, he's like a Swiss army knife. So anyone, if you need <laughs> a keys guy or a bass player guy or a piano guy or, he was always just floating around and, and kind of actually struggling. Like, you know, he was trying to be a working musician, which is really hard. Right. And that's when I met him. And then, you know, obviously we had a, a friendship and then, you know, eventually we start releasing stuff for him. And then at some point we decide he should just be a star flyer because, you know, the guy's around, he's going to add stuff. He's funny and easy to hang out with. So it just, it just was like kind of a natural progression really. The, the few experiences, you know, I never actually got to properly interview him, which I look okay. back on and that kind of blows my mind. But I did get to speak with him a handful of times and he was always really cool about answering emails and all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But the sense I got of him was that he was beyond being like mega talented, beyond being deeply interesting and a deeply creative kind of person. The other thing that I always picked up from my interactions with him was that he just seemed like he was really funny. Um, yes. <laughs> were you, yeah. were you I mean, I have to imagine you guys were joking around a lot in those days and probably having a pretty good time hanging out overall. Yeah, Swift is like an extremely funny person, which you, I don't know. I mean, you would, you would probably, when you're listening to his, especially his solo music, you would probably never perceive the idea. He seems like he's a guy who's like literally right on the verge of suicide, you know? <laughs> but well, in yeah. real life, um, when he was, I, I think he did struggle with depression in real life, but when, when he was in a happy time and happy moods, he was like extremely funny. I mean, we yeah. would like, we have had some of like, you know, you're riding around in a van for eight hour stretches at a time. And I mean, yeah, we spent a lot of time just cracking up and Swift was really good at like voice impersonations and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And so he was funny. I mean, he he possessed this really weird talent, which is not going to sound like a talent, but it kind of is. He would he was able to intentionally sing off key, but <laughs> but he would pretend like he was someone like earnestly singing, but he would make it off key intentionally, and it was just so funny. I mean, he did a lot of really funny things. I I love that there was that that. You guys presented to me, at least as a listener, <clears throat> outside of it. You know, there's there's no uh, obviously the sort of I'm trying to figure out exactly how how I want to say this. You guys were were tooth and nail a Christian rock label, um, and obviously you guys were associated with sort of the Christian music industry to some degree. But but what always struck me about Starflyer was that it just didn't feel like there was any you guys probably could have leaned into that even more right you could have played that up you could have like pushed sure. the sort of like the sort of Jesus bottom line thing and really like pushed that to 
potentially even more uh, commercial success. But there was never any sense of that to me. And I never got the sense that any of you guys were really interested in it being... Um, You know, my impression was that y your guys' individual faith was something that you took very seriously and that <coughs> mattered, but wasn't something that you wanted to commercialize or market or or utilize in the service of of being a, a rock band that that preaches. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I can say again, I can just say that there's so many things about. I, I guess I'll just use the term "us" in general that really aren't very much different from when we were first starting you know yeah so just like you know i i i don't really want to go to a show and have someone telling me about their political beliefs or telling me what i need to do or how i need to vote or what i do need to support or what i don't need to support i like care about the chord progression you wrote and the music you guys <laughs> made and sure. i think that you know i will just speak for jason i for sure know jason feels that way so he is not going to be a cheerleader or preach to you, he's not going to push anything on you, right? Because that's not what he's trying to do. We're trying, we were trying to make music, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think that in some ways benefited us, and other other weird ways hurt us. But I, I think we were always just trying to make music, and we we're not trying to force our views onto anyone. I still, I mean, I still don't want to go hang out with some guy, even at a bar, and have him start telling me what I should do or why. You know what I mean? It's just weird. Sure. It's just, sure. it's just weird. Yeah, and and it, and I mean, to the extent that you feel comfortable talking about it, I mean, did you did you feel like like that like that Christian association? I mean, did it feel like an odd fit for you guys? Were there were there moments where it just felt like you know, sort of like a? a I go back and I I I read some of the like Pitchfork reviews, you know, and mm -hmm. like and 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 it felt goofy to me because it was like. So much is being brought to the table in the case. And I'm, I don't want to, I'm not like trying to talk shit on the people who wrote those reviews because Lord knows if you go back and you read stuff I wrote earlier and, you know, years ago, you, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Or, or even more recent, you know, it's certainly not going to be something <laughs> where I'm like, yeah, I still, I still feel the exact same way. But, okay. um, but that Christian association, you know, it colored people's perception of the band in a way that just to me, <clears throat> it just felt so odd. It was like, I, people are bringing this to the table when it when it's not on the table. Do you know what I mean? Does it does, yeah. does, is what I'm saying make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I think that whole aspect was so subtle in the band, and you know, especially towards the final years of the band playing live shows, it's like we really we really never played like quote unquote Christian shows. You know what I mean? Sure. So I, don't, I mean, I've, I don't even. I've, I've seen some footage that I believe Mike Adams has posted of you guys in like a worship hall. And it, it, it always feels yeah. so incongruous, <laughs> right? Because like, yeah, I just picture you dudes like hanging out back, like smoking cigs and like <laughs> getting ready to play. And then just sort of in this like weird zone. And it's like playing, you know, kind of these um really clamoring, like rock and roll things in a, tr anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> th those are the only times when it felt somewhat awkward. You know what I mean? And, and I'll say this, Awkward from the promoter or like the organizer's perspective, the people who were coming to the shows or the people I would talk to before the show or after the show, that was just, just could be anywhere. Totally normal. Yeah. The yeah. only thing that would happen that would be awkward was occasionally someone would, and it would be Jason, obviously, because he's a singer. 
someone might ask, can you say such and such or do, can you mention this or whatever? To which basically Jason would basically say, you know, guy, I pretty much don't talk between the songs at all. Anyways, I would feel really uncomfortable, you know, saying something that you're wanting me to say if I don't want to say it. So he was pretty covered that way. It wasn't a big deal, but those are the only times when it felt a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah. And well, that's just, and that's really just harkening back to the same thing we were just talking about. You know what I mean? Nobody wants some view pushed on them. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, and I, 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 I feel like I, I definitely, I feel like there's a lot of different ways that a person can do a thing. Right. You know, and yeah. I, I mean, and, and I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of a lot of artists who, mm. who are pretty outspoken about their beliefs or about, um, you know, their, their political views or anything else, you know? So it's like, to me, you can go about it in different ways, but, but I definitely have always appreciated, you know, going back to that sort of, um, that sort of that band Doppler article that I was mentioning that this magazine article where I feel like Jason has always been almost evasive is the wrong word, right? But he, the blue collar sort of ethic that has colored um, both Starfire and and Velvet Blue, you know, mm-hmm. it's just this sense of like we're we're doing. I believe that music is like a powerful force, and I believe that the artistic impulse and creative impulse is like a really powerful thing. But then at the same time, I've always respected and sort of loved the way Martin would just say like. It's like math, you know, these are chords. We figure out the right chord to put after yeah. the other chords because it makes sense. And yeah. it's not it's not a deep thing. It's not a it's not a spiritual search for the right C chord. Just play the C chord, you know, to quote one of his songs. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've I've always been I find myself like <laughs> drifting further and further away from that particular approach myself, you know, in terms of like. But at the same time, Starflyer is one of my all-time favorite bands. I love the, mm-hmm. the lack the lack of pretension, the lack of pretense that you guys uh, projected. Sure. I mean, it's the, it is really spread across everything that I do, every single thing on the label. I mean, some of these songs are extremely important to me, and in the right situation, it's very, very powerful and emotional, and it means a lot of things to you. And then on the other hand, sometimes you have to think like, well, it's just some dudes in a in a room who recorded this and made this. <laughs> this is not the end of the world. This cannot change anything. Like, you know, I've got a neighbor who's ill. That is much more important than anything that could be on the seven inch right now. Right. I, and and sure. I think that I think that just the duality of, of of it being extremely important, but at the same time having no importance at all is what keeps everything kind of even kill and and not pretentious and not thinking too much of yourself about what you're doing and not thinking that you're doing something that is just irreplaceable or like, the, you know, <laughs> the, the bee's knees. That balance, that balance is really, really crucial. Now, yeah. so that's, so that said, um, so, so like picture this, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty young, young guy and I'm not, not sheltered necessarily, but but certainly coming yeah. from where I'm coming from. So you you name your label Velvet Blue Music, and I go okay. So I read in an interview where you say that you know you named it for the David Lynch movie Velvet Blue. Yeah. So I go okay, um, or Blue Velvet, Jesus. Uh, so I all right. So Blue Velvet. 
So I go and I check this movie out, and <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it was a it was a surprise. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know yeah. I didn't know I didn't know what I was going in for, but um, obviously it sort of it sort of blew my mind and it opened me up to a whole new world. So all of this is to say. I'd love to to hear, you know, for you, what was it about Lynch's work that spoke to you? How did you kind of get into to that stuff? Obviously, he's a he's a monumental figure, you know. Yeah. How did how did you how did you find yourself drawn to to the to the world of David Lynch? Okay, so so first off, um just as you might not feel the same way you felt when you wrote a review 20 years ago. Sure. The 20-year-old me thought it would be a fantastic name to swap around some words. But in retrospect, it was very horrible because for the last 25 years, people, you did the opposite, which is very strange, but most everyone accidentally calls it Blue Velvet. Very, yeah. very, very, very often, right? So sure. it was probably not a good move, but I, at the time <laughs> I thought that it was, I thought it was like classy sounding and like sophisticated. I thought it was like, it does I don't know. sound that it's it's got that yeah for sure i mean i thought it was like you know for lack of a better term i thought it was like high class sounding but that's like 20 year old me you know what i mean yeah sure sure so uh, i i was um uh, i was probably watching twin peaks first i think and i was just got really really into that um and a little later too i right when it was happening i wasn't watching it it was it was a little after and so i just i loved it and then I mean, I think you can see like the music from Twin Peaks and stuff, and you know, it, it's not that far from some of the stuff that that I release now. Really, you know what I mean? No, absolutely, absolutely. So it was totally, it was totally the music aspect. I think that that got me most into it, and then, and, and just like you, like the first time I saw it, I was probably shocked too. Like, wow, what is this? You know, and um, I mean, he, he, I mean, the guy's basically like the indie rock of movies, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, eventually he becomes more successful and people give him some money. But, you know, in all reality, he's, you know, he's still working with small budgets. Right. Right. So right. I think, I don't know. I, I think I saw that as just a counterpart to what I was wanting to accomplish. You know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. When I think about it, like, and this is something that um, Andrew Horton, who edits this podcast and does our sound, shout out to mm -hmm. Andrew who, uh, again, somebody going all the way back to the beginning for me, you know, was was hipping me to stuff that you guys were doing and and uh, really just such an important uh, a buddy and, and um, great, great person. But yeah, something that we've talked a little bit about is is David Lynch has this, you know, there's a mid-century thing in, uh, of, of this, this sort of golden era of the 50s, right? And yeah. Um, and so that's a part of it, you know, but then it's this idealized thing. And I, and I love that he, he seems to love reverb on guitars and he loves like right. surf twang and the Angelo mm -hmm. Badalamenti, you know, absolutely. Right. So, so aesthetically, incredible. yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah. Aesthetically, you can line it up, you know, but then there is also that strange, eerie, unexplored, creepiness on the edge too you know mm -hmm. and that's and that's also great right and that's also part of what makes it so good it's the juxtaposition the same yep. way we were talking about the juxtaposition of this sort of like fa frankly like arty music that you've been mm -hmm. associated with with this sort of non-arty attitude you know 
Yeah, you can you can sense that in Len uh, in in Lynch as well. This sort of like um, this sort of workman like quality, and this sort of love for this like classic Americana sound, but then sure. also this this deep uncanniness that's just off to the side that's always there, always present on the periphery, you know. And I feel like, yeah, I mean that's just that's that's so. That's so important. And when I look through the discography of, of Velvet Blue and I and so many favorites, right? Like I love I love all the map stuff and I love Fine China, especially being from Arizona and having those guys sort of uh, are, are again on the periphery and, and all the all these different artists who you've worked with, there there is like a there is a there's a the willingness to be a little obscure and a little hidden as well as pretty unabashed and sort of melodic. So I feel like the Lynch thing is, is, is pretty good. Have you, did right. you, did, have you kept up with Twin Peaks? Did you watch the third season? I did. Yeah, of course. And, how did and you, then how did you feel about it? Uh, I thought it was really good, actually. I, I really liked it. Yeah. I'm, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I think it's, I think it's probably the most brilliant, tv thing of the last decade or whatever and yeah well a, cu- well, a couple things one i got a, a bang bang shirt which i really like and then <laughs> two yeah. um you'll enjoy this it's slightly a tangent but it's worth telling and it's fun there's a really really nice hotel near us in laguna beach that's on the coast and it's extremely uh expensive so obviously i never stay at the hotel but occasionally <laughs> I will go to the hotel bar and it overlooks the ocean. And I actually usually don't even drink there because it's expensive, but I will get hot tea and they yeah. give you little hors d'oeuvres and stuff. And so on the weekends, there's a guy who plays piano in there. And because of what it is, he's playing like the classics. And then, you know, every now and then he's throwing in like an Adele song to keep things current and, and hip with the guests there, you know? Sure. And sure. he, came over to me because I think he'd seen me in there a few times and he gave me a QR code that you scan. And when I scanned it, I realized it was like 1400 songs and the guy was like a human jukebox. Okay. Whoa. So you could pick a song. So I was just scrolling through it. And then when you pick the song, it goes to him where he's sitting at the piano and he'll play it. And obviously he's a fantastic piano player. You know what I mean? He's obviously a professional guy. So I was scrolling through and the theme to Twin Peaks was in there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I am for sure picking it. So I picked it. He played that thing perfectly, but the we- it was the weirdest feeling being in this very posh thing overlooking the ocean with a bunch of other very wealthy people, and then having that guy play the the theme for Twin Peaks for me was like yeah. a great, great moment in life. Like this, this is truly like a juxtaposition and has gone full circle. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, it yeah. was really fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love that. Um, I love that that one that that Lynch's work has. What I love about the third season of Twin Peaks, and I guess in a funny way, this goes right back to Vanity by Starflyer Fifty Nine, mm-hmm. is that when I watch the third season of Twin Peaks, what you're watching is, of course, a continuation of this weird fantastical world that David Lynch has created, yeah. but also it didn't feel like a reboot and it didn't feel like a cheesy reunion. What it felt like was you were stepping into this world 25 years later and what you're watching 
I mean, just you go through the the list of 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 actors involved with the show who have since passed away, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's 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 really heavy, right? But yeah, what you're watching on screen is is time. You're watching you're watching time the way time works. And yeah. so much of the show was a, was about that. And so in a funny way, Vanity very much feels that way to me as well, Starflyer wise, right? Because it's like this is a guy reflecting on on a life, you know. Um, yeah. And so that's heavy, but 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 beautiful too. And and so um, you know, it's funny. Uh, it always feels like each Starflyer record. It's like, well, maybe this will be the last Starflyer record, you know. But um, yeah. yes, <laughs> because it always he Martin just has this. He's so he's always so fatalistic in the in the lyrics, sure. you know. Yeah, and he, and he always phrases it like this is probably going to be the last one. You're like, oh, oh, right. Okay. And then when, you know, it's like the, the boy who cried wolf because he just always says that and then yeah. another one comes out. But with this one, it really did feel that way. But it also felt like, well, maybe this is a, um, maybe in a weird way, it almost feels like the start of a new chapter for Starflyer as well, which I hope is is the case. Yeah, I mean, he, like more, more seriously than normal, I I mean, I, I thought there was a, I thought there was a lot of potential that that um, Young in My Head would be the last Starfire record because yeah. he did he did mention it several times. Like, I just want this thing to it's run its course, and I'm out of ideas, and you know, I, I just want to go out on something that I'm, I'm proud of, and or you know, like a high note kind of thing. Uh, okay, and then with Vanity, he, there was a lot of talk of like, well, I you know, this I I just want to make this record, and, and this this will be the last one. And so we've talked since then, and you know we're talking about doing some other things. But I mean, he more than a few times has said, "Hey, maybe we should just do something different and not not call it Starflyer or whatever." I, I mean, I think there's going to be another Starflyer thing, but if there wasn't, it wouldn't be totally shocking to me. But I'm hoping he's going to do uh, more stuff. Well, and it wouldn't be a bad note to go out on either. I should I should yeah. note because it was like you said, pretty pretty great. Mm -hmm. Well. Well, Jeff, it's, I mean, there's, it's been such a, such a pleasure getting to talk with you about all this yeah. stuff. I did, I did want to ask one of the things, one of the things I wanted to say is Velvet Blue Music has a very vast discography and you've put out, you've put out a lot of music over the years. Um, yeah, we are, we're currently on release 211, which is uh, <laughs> sort of remarkable. And no, it's not sort of remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable because it's not only just when people say like, oh, yeah, we're an indie label, you know, a lot of times. A lot of uh, well, that's that that's a that's a funny term because it can mean anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you, you yeah. could be a, you could have a pretty big staff and a, and a nice office and a great warehouse and all this exactly. other stuff and still be still be independent. But but yeah. but VBM is is you <laughs> doing it all from from, yeah. from from your place and you're you're the guy who's kind of kind of running things down mm -hmm. one of the things that's so fun and interesting to think about is how many people like people like richard swift who have kind of come out of this 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 little scene that you mm -hmm. are a custodian and a, and a caretaker of and go gone on to be you know a big deal in the independent world and there's lots of people uh who've been associated with the label throughout the years who are are in in that um that zone as well but i wondered if you could maybe as we close if 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 listeners were interested in exploring your catalog 
what's one uh, record that hasn't got as much shine that you would like to to point people towards? What maybe maybe a personal favorite that you would suggest people check out? Yeah, that's it's always a it's always a difficult question. Um, like I said, we're on release two hundred and eleven. Um, there's moments in the catalog that aren't you know, aren't my favorite. There's moments I'm really deeply connected to. There's early stuff that's nostalgic. Yeah. Um, I, I think in general, maybe I mean, and some stuff has gotten great attention, really, really nice attention. Um, it, you know, like you said, it, it's extremely blue collar. It basically is only me, and there is times when I feel like I or we or the band accomplished something that some other staff of like 12 people and way more money kind of accomplished the same thing, but we did it alone. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and, and, and that's sort of gratifying sometimes to me, like my band is in this, even though you have a publicist that you're paying like $5,000 a month, you know what I mean? Right. So for me, back to the, back to the thing, um, gosh, uh, a, a few, a few standout things for me. Um, there was a band called Bethan from Texas. And their record was t- called Time Gone By. And it was produced by Mackenzie Smith from the band Midlake. Um, mm. And I love the record. Uh, like sonically, I love it. it, it it's almost genre-less. There's, it's very hard to put a finger on what it is. And um, her, her vocal takes on the thing are incredible. I think the songwriting is incredible. I always felt like that record got a little overlooked. And, and it is one of my personal favorites. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, we were kind of talking about a band being old and coming back and doing something important. I, I really feel like the last Fine China record, Not Thrilled, was like just kind of a commanding return of just great songwriting. And just, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like they were, had been around a long time and then they kind of went on hiatus for a little bit and they came back. And I just feel like that record was just a really phenomenal record. So Excellent. Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess that for me, I mean, I, I could just, it's hard. There's so many releases, it, it could just go on forever. You know, it's really hard. That, that's why when you were going to do this interview, I was really happy that you were doing it. I, and I like to talk about the label, but at the same time, it's such a daunting task, you know? It's well, yes. so hard to <laughs> look at the catalog and think about stuff. And like, even for me, I always think like, well, we should really make our website like way nicer. But then I think like, oh my gosh, it is so much work just to input the information of all these releases and I don't want to let them die and fall by the wayside like they're gone but sometimes it's really hard to keep up on all it's just so vast you know it's hard yeah yeah well I appreciate that you've done so much great work and that you've put all this out into the world and that you've been you know kept kept with it and i know it's a it's a labor of love and i just want to thank you for it and i appreciate you taking the time to talk dude it's been a lot of fun absolutely yeah yeah i'm glad we can make it happen i know we were bouncing back and forth for a little while so it's great I, i truly appreciate you taking the time to kind of delve in yeah okay there's another new song Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce Transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. 
and our show is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU. Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Find us on social media and Patreon, and of course at Aquarium Drunkard, only the good shit since 2005. Rate, review, subscribe, and spread the word if you dig transmissions. We'll be back next week with experimental jazz artist Ben Mark. This transmission is concluded.